Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican Communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. It's the open secret, right? A lot of clergy are going part-time or even entering the ministry part-time. Some call it being bivocational. And whatever you call it, it's becoming more and more common in mainline denominations and elsewhere. In some places, half the clergy or more are not full-time at their parishes. Is this a bad thing? Is this a sad default when you can't afford better? Or is it, as some are saying, the cutting edge of future ministry? The question underneath all of this is, what is the relationship of part-time ministry to a church's vitality? Mark Michael, who's our editor here at TLC, sits down with the Reverend Jeff McDonald. And Jeff is a widely respected church journalist. He's written many articles for TLC and elsewhere. And he's also the pastor of a United Church of Christ in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Jeff has recently written a book. It's a great book. It's called Part-Time is Plenty, Thriving Without Full-Time Clergy. Find it online. Get yourself a copy. It's based on a series of visits and interviews with churches of various mainline Protestant denominations across the U.S., And the book offers insights to lay leaders, pastors, and congregations considering going to part-time ministry. It also provides tips on how to do that fruitfully and to truly thrive in that ministry structure. Jeff talks with Mark about what he's learned and about what his hopes are for congregations who feel that part-time ministry is the way God is calling them to structure their life together. Thanks again, Jeff, for joining us. My first question is, you decided to write a book about congregations that are thriving without full-time clergy, and you lead one of them. 
And I'm curious about the congregation you serve, which made a shift to this model of leadership when you came to be the pastor, and how this works out for you uh, as a minister. Sure. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be with you on this podcast and to talk about this subject. You know, at my church, I have a small congregation. We have around 25 or 30 on a Sunday morning. And before I came to First Parish Church, they had a full-time pastor. And what people told me about that was that it was largely a relationship in which the, the pastor really did everything, is how some people have put it to me. The pastor designed worship experience, led various types of programming through the year, pretty much pioneered any outreach that was going to happen. And the people were largely um, taking part by showing up for things that had been put together by the staff and and making their contributions to the offering plate. It was very much what I would describe as sort of a consumeristic model. In a part-time framework, the people are much more engaged with hands-on ministry, kind of roll up your sleeves and get to work sort of ministry. We now have a food pantry, for instance, that is feeding upwards of 250 people a week in this pandemic. We see uh, much more involvement of lay people to lead to lead that work, uh, to lead a, a gardens community garden ministry that we have, to be involved in the musical life of the church, taking part in that. People just have a, a different sense of responsibility and freedom to kind of take the reins and be. Uh, and run with opportunities. So that's kind of the biggest change, I think, that I would say we see. Mm, so, the, so the people are really assuming more of the leadership themselves. They're initiating the project, seeing them through. And what is your role like in in distinction from, say, what it would have been for your immediate predecessor, the full-time pastor? Right. Um, mine is is much more kind of, you know, I still lead worship in the same way, in addition to that, I provide some guidance and direction for members of the church as we have committees that are going to carry out the execution of various ministries. That's a, a big difference. A lot of times in a full-time setting, the clergy person is going to execute a lot of what gets discussed at the board or committee level. In our case, we have volunteers who do most of the execution. So I, I try to do a lot of discernment and a lot of asking the kinds of questions that will elicit their passions, their sense of vocation, and their wherewithal to impact lives with the gospel in mind and really be that kind of good news in our community. And, you know, when you, when you talk to clergy about part-time ministry, I've heard it so many times. They say, that, you know, there is no such thing as part-time ministry. Every part-time minister works as many hours at the church as a full-time minister. I mean, is is that true in your experience? No, I really don't buy that. I should probably put a parameter around it to say, of course, for all Christians, all people of faith, it's not an identity that one turns on and off. But when 
when we hear that from clergy who will say that there's no such thing as part-time ministry, that's more of a comment about professional ministry, that professional ministry is something that you can't bracket, you can't limit to part-time. And that idea is, when I say I don't buy that, on the one hand, it's it's really lacking boundaries. It's really implying that you know, if you're really committed, you'll you'll just give all your time to the church. And we've all learned in recent years that that's not healthy to have that kind of, you know, use me up and burn me out kind of mentality when it comes to professional ministry. And it's important to have boundaries. It's important to recognize limits. It's possible in a, especially in a smaller church to to share the load and have and empower lay people to do a lot of the ministry that has traditionally in full-time settings landed on the shoulders of the clergy person. And part of what you were saying before is that you really need to be able to discern what are the people here called to do, what are they equipped to do, and that that's a it takes a gift. That's a gift to be able to discern those things, and maybe not one that clergy are always trained or prepared to to exercise. So, right, and see I would, there. yeah, yeah, and I would add to that, Mark, that that that's one of those traits or gifts or or learned abilities that, as I say in in the book, part time is plenty. That they are there are some some skills in part-time ministry that are especially important that that you don't necessarily need in full-time ministry, uh, at least to the same degree. And one of them is discernment, that really high priority and, and learned you know, to really practice and hone that, that ability to discern when the Spirit is showing someone to be called to pick up on that. I wonder, um, these boundary issues and, and the the difficulty of for some people to not work full time in a part time capacity. You you make a point in the book that there's a big difference between congregations that decide we want to be part time. We're we're entering into this, you know, with our eyes open, um, or congregations that say, well, really, we've always been had a full time minister. We just don't have the cash, um, and so we'll pay part time. What are the differences between those two models? I mean, how does a congregation need to change if it's had a full-time minister in the past to really embrace this new model? Sure. It's a great question, Mark. The difference that I see is is the difference between just kind of falling into a part-time pastorate arrangement and intentionally, even strategically, entering into one. By that, I mean when a congregation just runs out of funds to pay a full-time clergy person and panics, then they will end up with a pastorate that's part-time, maybe it's half-time, three-quarters, one-quarter, and they will make do with what they have. And what you often end up with is just, you just slash what you think you can do without. And you just pare down the full-time pastorate to sort of a mini full-time pastorate. And you become very inwardly focused. This is when a church hasn't really discerned very strategically how they're going to leverage and use the pastorate. They are instead basically cutting back on things that they think they can do without like outreach, engagement in the community. We can't have our priest be 
serving on local boards anymore or being out in the community during the day because we only have so many hours and the priest needs to spend those with us. You contrast that with those who are strategic in this area, and it can be like night and day where you have a church that will say, okay, we can't afford a full-time pastor. Maybe we used to, or maybe we never could. And yet they look at what they have. They take stock of the gifts that God has spread out among them in the body of Christ, much like in 1 Corinthians 12. And that's where the strategic uh, maneuvering comes in and where you say, well, we have people who are capable of giving sermons. And so, so one church I visited has a preaching core of 10 out of the 20 members of the church are part of a rotating preaching core because they've got that kind of ability and passion within their ranks. That wouldn't work for every church, but in their church, it works swimmingly. It allows their priests to be freed up to be in the community and to develop relationships. And that's an example of how a strategic move differs from just falling into it. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting in the book is you say that this model can sometimes free up uh, members of the clergy to be ambassadors for the congregation in fuller ways. And having served in small town contexts myself, I know how important that can be to um, helping the congregation grow. And But I, I think that many, many smaller congregations do put that on the back burner. But you you had some examples of churches. I'm curious if of other examples that you saw where this model actually translates into congregations being more active in mission. Yes, yeah, sure. Essentially, what I found in this study, I didn't know what I would find when I received a grant from the BTS Center to look at congregations that were thriving, actually having more vitality after switching to part-time clergy than they had before. We wanted to go and visit a couple dozen of them and understand what they've done. But I think you're onto something, Mark, where there is an enlivenment of mission that we see. In some cases, the congregation takes more responsibility for the internal pastoral roles of visiting one another, ministering to each other, sharing worship leadership in order to free up the clergy person to be more of an ambassador in the community, and develop those relationships that lead to church growth and lead to impactful ministry in the community. The pastor can can reach out if the people step into roles to do that internal ministry. The other way that this can work is what you're getting at with your question about seeing lay people more engaged in mission and outreach Can that happen in this kind of framework? And the answer is yes. I'll give you an example from uh, in Gloucester, Massachusetts. There's a church, St. John's Episcopal Church in Gloucester, had a full-time pastor, has transitioned to a part-time arrangement where the pastor serves about 30 hours a week. And part of the strategic move there is the priest is no longer the one who's responsible for all the outreach and evangelism and church growth, that used to be the domain of the priest at St. John's. That was part of what they saw as as his job. It's not his job anymore. He now leads an evangelism seminar, uh, you could call it. It's like a 10-week program that they do every couple of years. And it 
basically equips the people to know what evangelism is, to know how to tell their story, to talk about the gospel, to talk about how how their lives have changed and and what it means for them to be alive in the love of Jesus. That when they learn to do that, they can provide a different type of, of outreach in their community. And it also involves a lot of hands-on mission. They host a day center, for instance, that uh, for the homeless community to come by and be there and not be shuffled along from one park bench to another, but to be to have a place where they can play music and be nourished uh, with, with, with food and spirit. So those are types of ways that that the priest will devote some time to equipping the people to do the jobs or to do the roles that the priest used to do. Uh, you you said it, that when you first started this research, you were a little depressed or frustrated because you kept calling up diocesan or conference level staff and asking, where are your part-time congregations? And they all said, we don't have any of them. And you, you sort of suggest that maybe this is, they're sort of hiding this, um, that this this is such a increasingly dominant model within mainline Protestantism, but that the, these diocesan leaders are kind of reluctant to acknowledge that. I, I, what What's behind that? Yeah, well, in part, what, what they've been reluctant to acknowledge is, is the vitality in part-time congregations that I was especially keen to find when I was doing my research. There were some cases where they would acknowledge that there were congregations led by part-time clergy, but but not say that any of them had vitality or, or were vital. And with that, what I learned was they had a definition of vitality that included having a full-time clergy person. They felt that if you didn't have a full-time clergy person, there must be something wrong with you, and you're obviously not a healthy church. You know, I think, to step back slightly from that, I think there is a a measure of embarrassment at the diocesan level sometimes when we point out how many congregations are led by part-time clergy. In the Episcopal Church, it's 46%. It's a big number. It's a lot bigger than people realize or would would assume. And there are some there are some dioceses where it's a majority. Uh, even in Northern Michigan, it's 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 all of them, right? Have part-time clergy. And so the embarrassment or the tinge of shame that is felt, it's not just in the Episcopal Church, it's in other denominations across mainline Protestantism, where there's sort of a kind of a frustration because it's not like the way it was in the 50s or the 60s. And, and I think this, this embarrassment is, is ill-placed because it, it comes from a, from a worldly perspective that associates power and wealth and the ability to have multiple uh, well-paid employees with benefits as markers of success in ministry. And that's really missing the richness of what these churches offer and and do in wonderful ways that, that we could talk about further. But that's part of the answer there. Yeah, and that one of the things that you pointed out in the book that I found really it made a lot of sense when I stopped to think about it, is that this this model of the 
pastoral parish, you know, where there's uh, one clergy person full-time who serves a fairly small congregation, that that's sort of an outlier over the long trajectory of the history of the church. I just wrote an article for Covenant in part writing about your book and relating it to the model of ministry that the Episcopal Church was using on the frontier in the 19th century, where almost all ministers were part-time and the the missionary bishop was concerned that the people there would develop a settled model like what was in place back east and that the vitality of the mission would be impaired by that in part i suppose because the lay people weren't taking up their role something you've talked about earlier so this is kind of returning back to where we've been before in some ways yes it absolutely is it was a situation in in some cases Denominations have aspired to have an ideal with a full-time clergy person in every parish that would have been an ideal in the Anglican congregations of the colonies, for instance, but they couldn't afford it. I mean, I think one of the tensions we're seeing now is that we we do have enough trained people, at least in some who are willing to serve in some places, um, but um, so that there's a a challenge of of expectations that you know a lot of clergy have made a major investment in going to seminary and they care come out of it with debt and uh, they're assuming they will be able to have fairly compensated full-time employment with health insurance uh, to be able to to uh, make a life for themselves that they feel they've prepared for and when we see this trend as part-time ministry i think there's a lot of concern about you know, is the church just, is this sort of like the Uber of churches? You know, there's a, this is, there's some, some injustices built into the gig economy that we're seeing in different places. And I think there's just concern that this trend is about the church buying into a system which ultimately doesn't treat its employees fairly. I'm curious about your thoughts about that critique, which I'm sure you've, you've heard before. Yes. And I'd like to speak to it on a couple levels. One is we really are at an inflection point where our institutions of seminaries have been training people for full-time professional careers, and there's still a need for that, absolutely. And and there's still places in the church where graduates find those opportunities if they're looking for them. So that's that's part of the landscape and the, the the framework of this. There's also those who are kind of falling in between in the cracks who are seeking full-time or are getting trained in a way that requires them to take out a lot of debt. And then, and then the jobs aren't there to reward that risk-taking. And that's really where we have to do some some thinking about alternative ways to train clergy where it's not so expensive and where they can become what they need to be for the church and still keep their hand in another line of work, be engaged in another type of vocation. And, and we are seeing that emerge, a number of alternative pathways uh, that dioceses are making possible. As far as the justice question, I think we just have to begin with the reality that many congregations simply couldn't afford to pay full-time salary plus benefits if they wanted to. They just don't have the resources for it. So we need to look at 
what justice means in that setting. To ask a congregation to spend 80, 85% of its resources on one person's salary and benefits, that's not really justice in my view. It's going to be too top heavy in one area. I think what we need to think about is how is the church, one, providing a a stable level of compensation, maybe part-time compensation, but it's stable, it's predictable, it's affordable and sustainable for for a particular congregation. That's meaningful in somebody's life as a clergy person. And then giving them the time to also work in another area. That's also meaningful and powerful and useful for their personal development, for their putting bread on the table. So congregations need to give their clergy, their part-time clergy, time to work. They they should not be trying to get full-time ministry at part-time wages. Yeah, that's not that that's that's a real injustice. And you give some really interesting examples of ministers combining their work with uh, other kinds of endeavors, artistic and handy handcrafts. And um, one guy was a bartender. I mean, and, you know, things that they find really meaningful and engaging alongside their their ministerial duties. You you are yourself a minister of the United Church of Christ, and you interviewed people from. Presbyterian, Methodist, uh, other sorts of backgrounds in preparing this. This I'm curious what you think the particularities of part-time ministry in the Episcopal Church might be. You talked about that large number of congregations, but are there particular opportunities or challenges for Episcopal churches who seek to use part-time clergy in their ministry? Yes, I think I think there are. You know, one of them is the ability of the Episcopal Church to equip laity to carry on many roles. There's more of a tradition in that than I was aware of when I started the research. And more it's more customary than a matter of polity that lay people often defer a whole host of responsibilities to a priest. But there's a lot of, as one Episcopal laywoman told me, she said, you know, there's a lot of things that, that lay people can do that they don't realize they can do. And that can range from from preaching to officiating at memorial services to uh, administering the sacraments that have been consecrated previously. You know, really be quite involved to do to doing visitation, uh, to praying with people in the hospital. There's There's a lot of things that that folks can do. And this can make a very big difference in the life of a congregation to embrace that. And so the Episcopal Church has that has that built in and has more of a tradition in dioceses like in Nevada. They're very familiar with that. And that's a lesson that, that can spread from Nevada to, to other places that aren't so familiar with that type of model. Yeah. Total ministry model. That's what they call it in Nevada, I think. Yeah, that's what they call it in Nevada. And another special opportunity in the Episcopal Church is in the area of education for lay people. Uh, Schools of ministry like the Stevenson School of Ministry in Pennsylvania have been developing their resources so that lay people are, are increasingly able to access theological education and not feel like they're just being thrown into the deep end of the pool without ever having been shown how to swim. And then thirdly, one point is about the, the development of resources for priests to learn to to minister in ways that allow for keeping your full-time job in another 
area. The Iona School of Ministry is is one example of that. So, so the Episcopal Church is really developing some infrastructure to support this. And it's just a matter of finding that and connecting and networking with those who are already doing it to really embrace the blessings that are that are increasingly there for the taking, if if only they'll be savored as the blessings that they are. You know, there's a lot of predicting going on in different sectors of economic and social life about what this current pandemic and the shutdown and how that's going to change things going forward. What's your what's your guess about how it will impact the prevalency or the uh, of part-time ministry or the way that ministry is structured in in our in the Episcopal Church or other mainline churches? On an immediate level, of course, the pandemic has had impactful economic crisis already and there are many institutions that are getting through what is now the the second quarter of 2020 but this is looking like it's going to go longer and that churches will need to look at their budgets and so i expect that some of those that were already wondering about whether full-time ministry was the best use of their resources will will reconsider and so there i expect that the number that have part-time clergy i expect will increase as they find that 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 it is a way that they can still do powerful ministry and it's not tantamount to to just giving up or just resigning themselves to a sort of second best also ran status so that, that's one outcome that i expect another is that this is this pandemic is showing that that many enterprises in in religion and elsewhere need to rethink how they do things and rethink models. Just the transition to doing so much online that used to be done in person requires us to consider well, what's the big goal of this in the in the big picture, and and how can we achieve that goal as an organization or through an entirely different channel? When there's all that kind of rethinking of models, it lends itself to some rethinking about, well, so what's at the core of being the church and and how to be the church authentically in our time, in our culture, with our with our current constraints and our current opportunities. You know, where's that kernel that is always with us as a as a calling from God and and as a blessing of the Holy Spirit to go and be Ecclesia. And how could that look different in a post-pandemic world to, to rethink the pastorate? And that's that's really what I found in this was congregations are rethinking the pastorate and rethinking what it means to be laity so that it's not so consumeristic. You don't assume that it's going to be, well, the clergy person provides religious goods and services and the people show up and, and benefit from them and support them financially. No one ever set out for those things to be a transactional relationship in the first place, but sometimes it, it can sort of slough in that direction. So I think we're really at a moment where where some rethinking and, and redesign is possible, and it, and there could be some, some pretty faithful expressions that emerge from that. So if you're a leader, in a lay leader in one of those congregations or a pastor, you could do really well to pick up a copy of Part-Time is Plenty and see if there are some insights there to guide you. Any Anything else you want to add? Any kind of final thoughts about what you hope the gift of this book can be to the church? Well, I think that uh, I would just reiterate that I 
am encouraging us to see that that the church is more diverse than we've sometimes given it credit for, that these are real blessings, that congregations with part-time clergy are not sort of the stepchild that you need to be embarrassed about. They're actually offering an incredible form of gospel witness and giving lay people opportunities to to spread their wings and to take part in the life of faith in a way that's really a good fit for the 21st century. One, it's it's lean and it's affordable. And secondly, that, that people really have a chance as lay people in such congregations to really interpret for themselves what being a Christian means and what it can look like in their lives. And that's what I kept seeing around the country in, in Texas and New Mexico and Washington State and Virginia, just that story unfolding again and again. And so I'm just very excited for what God is doing through churches with this model. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning blog, Covenant, at livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and I've been glad to be with you. Peace.